I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. By the way, we now have a merchandise shop on the website. So if you want your podcast swag, and you know you do, go to our website and click on the store tab. Sarah Hader was born in Pakistan as a practicing Shia Muslim. She moved to Texas and in her late teens began reading the Quran critically. So it wasn't long before she became an atheist. In 2013, she co-founded Ex-Muslims of North America, where she advocates for the acceptance of religious dissent and works to create local support communities for those who have left Islam. Sarah, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So one of the questions that we wanted to ask right off the bat is, uh, I know you've been asked this question before, but what did you read in the Quran that made you think, all right, this is not for me? Was it something you read in there or was it something else that made you become an atheist? Well, I mean, I think for for me and probably for many ex-Muslims, it wasn't just, it wasn't one particular thing that sort of broke the camel's back. There were there were many different cracks that, that started happening um, around the same time. So there was one period where I officially began to question, and, and I've said this before many times, and I'll say it again because I think it's worth mentioning, um, the effect that meeting other atheists had on me was, I think, I mean, I just think that nothing else could have done the same kind of, could have had the same kind of effect. Um, as knowing that there were other that there were atheists out there, people who rejected faith entirely, it was easier for me to understand why someone, you know, was a Christian or you know, a Hindu or whatever. I, I kind of saw them as all part of, you know, I had a more of a humanist understanding of Islam, so I thought they were all part of one thing. But you know, Christians are a little misguided; they just can't, you know, they have <laughs> that kind of a wrong interpretation. But you know, meeting atheists and talking to atheists really um, profoundly shook. Uh, my, my faith. And that kind of got me to think about um, religion on a more fundamental level. So do you think if you didn't leave Pakistan, do you think you would have kind of followed the same path? Was it in, inherent in you somehow that you would, you're a critical thinker and you would have read it the way you do? Or did it take contact with, with atheists? Um. Well, my, my ego says that, of course, I would have been uh, a free thinker and an atheist no matter what. But uh, I don't, uh, I mean, I don't know. And I, I think probably if I did, if I did become an atheist, it would have been much, much later in life. Um, because it was these experiences of meeting different people with different ideas that, that really got me to think about my own. And in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people do this where you sort of sleepwalk. Uh, through life in many ways until something really pulls you out of that supper and really makes you re-examine certain things. Um, and I don't, I don't believe that that really would have been ha- would have happened so easily in Pakistan. Um, but of course, there is um, a Pakistani atheist community. I mean, they're all uh, mostly underground um, for obvious reasons, but they exist. They're out there, and definitely, what's changed everything is the. Is, is the internet and being able to talk um, to each other across the world. I think that has changed the way even uh, even in Pakistan someone would encounter um, faithful or unfaithful people. Sure. 
did, when you were meeting these people who were atheists, and most of them probably came from a Christian background, did you meet other ex-Muslims at the time? No. Um, the first time I met an ex-Muslim was actually uh, the person that I ended up uh, working with to start XMNA, um, Muhammad Sayyid, he's our president. Um, and he was the first ex-Muslim I ever met. It was many years after leaving the faith. And I was, I was shocked, truly shocked, <laughs> to meet somebody else out there. I mean, I, I assumed, of course, they exist, you know, sort of, sort of in an abstract way somewhere out there. Um, and I had, you know, heard of Ayan Hirsi Ali, um, but I didn't know much about her. And I wasn't too sure if she was an actual, uh, she was like me, she was an actual ex-Muslim. Um, like she might have uh, been faking it or something <laughs> <laughs> to well, write a book. I mean, it's, so it, it's interesting. It, I mean, Ayan Hirsi she's a she's demonized pretty intensely in, in Muslim communities, right? So you look at her as kind of this, this satanic figure, you know, and you have a very visceral reaction. I mean, I did at least. I had a very visceral reaction to her. Um, and so, you know, the, the I guess, conspiracy uh, theorists, would say, you know, she was she was planted by right-wing people to make us look bad. <laughs> and I guess part of me believes that. Um, but, you know, I didn't really, I just assumed for the most part that um, that there really, I wasn't really going to meet anybody like myself because of how difficult it is socially to be, to, to talk to people in a Muslim community and, and talk about maybe your lack of faith or your, your questions. Um, it's so difficult to even have that conversation. I figured that, that it would never happen. And even if I opened up to somebody, they might not open up to me. Um, so it was a shock to me when I first, my first, when I met my first ex-Muslim. So a lot of uh, new new atheists, um, I guess, as I guess we'll call them, like to or we'll talk about um, uh, Islam and what's wrong with it. And many are accused of Islamophobia. What is the difference between criticizing Islam in a thoughtful way and being Islamophobic? Well, um, I could go on about this for a pretty long time. <laughs> That's fine. We've um, got a half hour. <laughs> Well, um, it's, so the word is something that I, you know, on a very fundamental level, I disagree with, um, and I disagree with its use, and I, I don't use it myself, and I discourage everyone else from using it as well because of the way that, and I, and I think you two understand this, and many atheists understand this, that of the way that it conflates the, the two very different concepts um, of, I guess, intolerance against the belief and intolerance against the, the believer. Mm-hmm. Um I would say here's what I can here's what I can say um, about what I feel what what I feel is usually something rooted um, in anti-Muslim bigotry rather than Islamophobia, and usually when I encounter this, it's, it's when it's when somebody is unable to look at Muslims as um, as a person who is you know could maybe be one day a future atheist. I mean, there's a lot of people who believe that there is something inherent about Muslims. That, that means that they will forever be a Muslim and that you can't really shake off the belief. And even I get that as, as an ex-Muslim. You know, there's, there's people who say, um, and these tend to be the people that I would call actual bigots. Uh, these are the people that, that look at me funny and they think, um, you know, they, they don't quite believe that anyone could ever really leave Islam as if there's something about, you know, it's a virus that once it's in you, it's sort of in your body forever, even if you're not showing symptoms at any given time. And from these people, and I've been accused of um, this concept, it's called Sapia, um, and it, it means that, 
I mean, I don't want to go too deep into into the history of this concept, but it's it's this practice of Shia Muslims um, that I've never actually seen anybody talk about when I was a Muslim. But it's this this ancient practice where Shias could pretend to be non-Shias, like they could pretend to be Sunnis, for example, if they were being persecuted. Um, and that was acceptable in the faith. Um, so this concept, people people make this into a very broad thing and say that there are Muslims that are basically pretending not to be Muslims um, in order to, you know, I don't know, <laughs> spread the the Muslim agenda, I guess, in some in some unsavory way. But these, so I've been accused of that myself, um, which is very interesting to me. And another way, um, I think. Well, when I look at somebody and I think, okay, well, this is maybe anti-Muslim bigotry, is when uh, people justify taking away civil liberties of Muslims mm-hmm. for whatever reason um, in a way that, you know, they wouldn't agree with taking them away from anybody else. And I think the most um, vivid example of this is the headscarf debate. Um, you know, I think that there are some people who are, especially when we talk about this, there's, there's a special targeting of, of a Muslim religious symbol. Um, and I only feel comfortable with it if it's something that we're going to push across the board. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if they say we don't want, I think maybe in France they did it's this, France, yeah. but uh, yeah, n- Muslim women can't wear the hijab or the niqab. They have to like show their face, basically. And that really is the sort of law that specifically targets Muslims. And you're saying, you know, it, it should go across the board, as in, uh, I. what do you mean by that? Like, what would a broader version of that look like that, that includes everybody? Well, it, it, that, that in particular is an interesting law, and I don't know too much about, about French law, but, but that, that law, that French ban, um, it, it bans all facial coverings, right? So they mm-hmm. say that, that we're targeting everybody because even people in ski gear aren't allowed to do this, or you can't wear like a full-body costume. As if that's what everyone does every day. But that's not really the, that's the letter of the law, right? Right. The spirit of it, I think, Mm -hmm. and what other, what what is a fair criticism to say that the spirit of that law is really to curtail specifically Muslims from practicing their religion because we know that this covering is a big part of the way that they practice. So I'm with you. that I'm iffy about. I'm with you there. And if I hear that story to me, I might think that whoever's passing that law or wants that law, that person is racist, Mm -hmm. that person is a bigot, and instinctively xenophobic. I might say that person is Islamophobic in the sense that they are going after Muslims. Why would you say I am wrong to use that word? What is wrong with me saying that? Well, I think that in any – well, I think that um, this has been covered by people – more intelligent than myself, and they've parsed through the specific reasons for why it's a bad word. But I, the, the reason it doesn't work is because it's too, it's, it makes it too simple. Um, what, excuse me? Sorry. No, you're fine. All right. Um, so it makes it very difficult to, to, to talk about Islam in an objective way as a belief system. Because um, then every time anyone brings up criticism of Islam, we're having another debate, not about the validity of the criticism, mm-hmm. but, you know, whether or not this falls into the category of Islamophobia and why and why not. So I think that we just need to draw clearer lines. And a good way of doing that is to say that, well, any time that there is somebody that is making a specific critique about the religion, it we have to consider it on its merit. Mm-hmm. Um, but when there is something that is targeting Muslims, you know, as a people, um, then I think that that's when I have that's when I have questions. 
So this is interesting because I think I'm on the same page as you, but I know I have used Islamophobic to describe people who are basically uh, targeting Muslims in a way that I feel is unfair. Or crying Sharia laws taking over. Yeah, like that like, all feels very targeted. Or even the first time when I very initially heard about that uh, kid in Texas who, who said he made oh, this clock, clock or something, thing. and they held him, they arrested him mm -hmm. and stuff. And I felt that's excessive because for whatever happened there, and I didn't know all the details at the time. Sure, but, but you I saw it was a brown kid was who made a thing. because it's a brown and... kid. And I remember saying to myself, that's Islamophobia mm -hmm. because— It feels be like the definition of it, right? Yeah, and Sarah, are you saying that's it? That's not the word I should be using? I think, I mean, it's—in a lot of ways, those—in a lot of those instances, simple bigotry or xenophobia can cover it, but sometimes yeah. you're right, it is something very specific. Um, and then I use anti-Muslim bigotry. And okay. The reason I use anti-Muslim bigotry, even though it is a little clunky, is because <laughs> I want to— maintain the focus on the targeting of the people as a group and do and not we're all opposed the to that in it at all. I, I mean, think of course they have that ideology in common and that's why they're Muslim yeah. but uh, the, the bigotry lies in targeting them as a people I agree with you, and I think a lot of times when I see people go after Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins, mm -hmm. um, I think they would say the same thing. They don't want to see any sort of uh, a criticism of Muslims as a people. Right. No, they want to protect any their civil rights. Any more than you rights. want to criticize a Christian as a person, it's just— Yeah, we have issues with their ideas, their beliefs, and we want to criticize those beliefs. Mm -hmm. So, Sarah, one thing I really wanted to ask you is uh, where do— People like that, those atheists who have these prominent positions and a lot of people are watching everything they say or do, mm -hmm. what do they get right and wrong about Islam? What criticisms do they get that you think are unfair or very fair? Um, well, there's a lot that many have said about Islam, so I cannot, I think, go over it point by point. But um, my perspective is, and I, I'm a little bit more, I guess, of a militant atheist than, than at least many other ex-Muslims I know. Um, and in broad strokes, I would agree with a lot of what new atheists have to say in how they characterize Islam as a religion. Um, where I tend to sort of fall out with them, if I do, is um, in what in their policy prescriptions based on that understanding, right? So some of them are a little bit more... Uh, you know, think that war is a little bit more acceptable than maybe I do. Mm. And in, in that sort of way, I I tend to walk away. And I think but that's I something like Ayan Hirsi Ali has said, like we should have a war uh, because Islam uh, is so harmful in that sense. The ideology is harmful. Mm -hmm. And she has right. said that. And she said this many times. And so I agree with her in that Islam is, Islam is very harmful. I think I'm almost... Um, in many ways, I'm 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 close to where she is in in how she characterizes Islam, and I think that a lot of what she says about Islam is very valid, and I think she's unfairly targeted um, for some of her comments on Islam. However, I don't have to agree that that war is the best option or war is the best solution, and in fact, I don't think that. Um, I think it aggravates the problem in many ways. So I so that's tend to, that tends to be where I fall out. Now, what about Sam Harris's? He got a lot of shit for this, and maybe it was deserved. Uh, Sam Harris had this idea that we should 
selectively profile people at airports mm. um, and not necessarily saying let's go after brown people. He's kind of saying let's not go after, I don't know, little old white Wait. ladies like and Betty they're... White because she's not the person you got to worry about. Uh, and even if the profiling means, you know, getting a lot of middle-aged white guys who have a tan, that might be an acceptable use of profiling. And people basically said, you're basically saying go after brown people. Yeah. Is that, like, where where is he getting... Uh, where is he getting it wrong? So before I comment on anything Sam Harris says, yeah, um, I'd like to say I don't um, particularly know about about his issues on racial profiling. I I know, I mean, what you said exactly. So I'm going to assume that that's that's what he sure work said. off of me. That way, if um, you get it wrong, and I'm not even talks, joking I mean, about, if you get it wrong, blame me. He speaks in very long form. Right. And he, likes to, <laughs> he, he, he speaks in. You know, theoretical in a very theoretical way, and you got to walk with him step by step. Was it right. a tweet or was it an article? So, oh, so it was a long that, several articles. Oh, I won't look it up then. <laughs> so, assuming that your summary was um, was a valid one and yeah. one that he would agree with, um, I don't think that just from a policy perspective, I don't think that that that's a very that's a very sound thing. I mean, from what I understand, um, you know. Lots of uh, security experts have said that that this this doesn't work. Right, um, and, and this is essentially Sam Harris and, did talk to a guy, uh, a security expert, who said it doesn't matter if this is profiling or not; it's just bad security. Mm-hmm. Right, and 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 I'm very um, practical in that sense, and I want to do what actually what actually will make us safer. Um, and what I don't want to do, and what I'm very, because I am, I am a civil libertarian, so I like to stand by that and stand by the civil liberties of Muslims, even uh, as much as I can. So I'm, I'm very wary of any argument that uh, that maybe seems like it might be curtailing that in some way. Sure. Let me ask you. Uh, you're kind of in a similar position where you are, uh, and well, you're an ex-Muslim, and so you have this knowledge of the faith that most of us don't. Uh, Sam Harris just wrote a book with uh, Majid Nawaz where they have this discussion about Islam, and Nawaz is a Muslim, uh, but he kind of, they have this conversation about uh, the different ideologies and what's right and wrong with it and things like that. Um, a lot of times I've heard Nawaz get criticized simply for having this dialogue, or he gets called like Sam Harris's lapdog. <laughs> uh, he's just a puppet right. trying to pull this off. I guess one question I wanted to know is, like, is there anything guys like Dawkins and Harris, you see what they tweet. You see a lot of the things they get criticized for saying. Are they are, are the criticism completely unfair, or is there something they should be doing better? Should they take a different approach with how they criticize Islam, even if you agree with their criticisms? Well, I mean, to sort of to answer that question, I guess I'm going to ask you a question. Um, Please. Who do you know who is a a loud um, and forceful uh, opponent of Islam who hasn't been demeaned or criticized? Yeah, no, I can't think of one. I think when you're criticizing religion, especially Islam, um, and you're going after like someone's core beliefs, you're not going to get a lot of people saying, "Yeah, you're doing it right." <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's it's something to expect if you are if you're going to be talking about Islam in a negative way in any negative way uh, it's 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 something that that you should you should just expect that on some level you're ready to call the bigot or intolerant um and so i don't know if there is currently a way to do it right i don't know anybody who is doing it right quote unquote you know like i don't i know a lot of um you know, uh, 
Muslims like marginalized people who are um, truly, I think, reformist Muslims and people who are not afraid to call out um, bad practices within the faithful. Um, and in, everyone that I know of um, has been smeared in one way or another as, um, you know, a puppet of, of the right wing or, you know, a native informant or a porch monkey. So I don't think that there's any way to get away from that. And that's truly tragic, you know, because it, it, the, the atmosphere is so divisive, it's so polarized when it comes to Islam, that anybody that, that makes a statement at all about Islam that is anything but positive um, gets into trouble. And what's interesting is, um, I think, Hanan, um, I, I think um, somebody from my organization posted something about, uh, if you remember, Yale Humanists wrote a letter along with um, many other student organizations um, expressing their disappointment that Ayan Hirsi Ali was speaking at their campus. I right. Think. Is that what that was? That's right. And Ayan Hirsi Ali was going to right. speak at, uh, I think, maybe right. UCLA. Uh, I believe that was a school. I could be wrong. Uh, but yeah, she was just going to give a speech there, and a lot of student groups, like 35 of them, wrote a letter saying, we oppose this. And what was she doing? She was just going to give a talk about her life and why Islam was bad in her life. And they said no. They were and, protesting, saying she was a right, so uh, anti-Islam. Yeah, and, and, okay. and, and atheists were involved in that. When they were when they were popping on to uh, you know that letter, said I think I don't remember the exact word, but it was something like they said that the reason why they disapprove of Ayan speaking is that she doesn't you know represent the totality of the ex-Muslim experience. Right. And I remember nice? reading that and thinking, well, of course she doesn't. No one does. I right. Don't. Um, Who is your perfect diverse, token you know, Islam? Yeah, Muslim. And that's the way it should be. Right. Um, and and when you when you put it in that way, when it's like somebody who expresses a totality, what that ends up being is that it's somebody who 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 is in line with what the majority of Muslims say or would agree with. So what that means is that you're really empowering the people who are already powerful in these communities. It's not, um, you know, the, the radicals on the fringe that are demanding human rights for women. These are not the people that that most Muslims would necessarily agree with. And when you say that the only person who has a legitimate voice in this is somebody who the average Muslim would agree with, you're getting into a lot of trouble, and you're putting Muslims in a lot of trouble, because in the long run, how are we supposed to have any progress if you know, these these radicals on the, the extreme fringes who are demanding certain things that are unheard of in these communities. How are we going to have progress if they're not allowed to speak? Do you think it would be different, though, if a lot of the criticisms... Ayan Hirsi Ali, let's take her out of the equation for a second. Usually, most of the criticism I tend to see about atheists who criticize Islam mm -hmm. is against Dawkins and, and Harris specifically. Do you think people are kind of taken aback when it's someone like you who's doing the talk because you gave a speech, I think it was at the American Humanist Association, and that video went viral because a lot of those uh, those guys I just mentioned and a lot of other people uh, said, oh my God, you got to see this. It's not that you were saying anything differently uh, because you were making the same criticism of religion that I think a lot of them do, but I think it's mm -hmm. different when you are seeing someone who is a young woman who is uh, a former Muslim saying those same things there's a power to that that like dawkins can never do that well yeah and i just it's something that that worries me uh, you know it worries me that that you know i give a speech and like you said i don't really say anything that hasn't been said before i mean there i mean 
know, I would say there's a few things. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, largely, you're right. It is the same sort of sons that Sam Harris has been making in Richard Dawkins' big, and in many ways, they make it more eloquently than I do. Um, I disagree, but, by the way. I think when you're speaking from the heart, which is what I was seeing in that video, I think it comes across as you don't have an axe to grind, maybe, that those guys seem to. I think that's the general consensus when it comes to the criticism. Well, yeah, and I, I, my disagreement, I guess, and my, my mistrust of that is, is, is that only certain people who fill into certain categories um, can gain legitimacy in, any, in what is supposed to be an intellectual argument. Right. You know, and I think that that, that, that is something I mistrust um, deeply. And I think that people, ex-Muslims like myself, you know, we need others who are not us, who don't look like us, to also speak with us. And I mean, not speak over us, but speak right. with us. I mean, and, you're uh, right. The, we, it shouldn't matter who the messenger is, but... People think that way. Because I mean, I would say that, like, you know, I'm not an ex-Christian, but I speak out against Christianity. Nobody's accusing me to of being anti-Christian or something else. But I feel like if I specifically speaking out against Islam, you're a bigot. I, I am. I mean, well, I am a bigot. That's yeah. aside from from any of this. But you know what I mean? Like, it's maybe it's because just right. there tends to be a racial element there, and that kind of makes everybody a little squirmy. That's right, and I think that that that's something very. It's very. You're right. It's very specific to Islam and to Muslims, and and I can't help but feel that that there is an element there of of well, you know, Muslims are special. We can expect a certain kind of behavior from everybody else, you know, um, but we we really can't expect it from these people, which feels a little racist to me. You know, it feels it feels racist to me to say that you know here are these standards that we uphold and we want everybody else to follow. We expect everyone else to follow, but for whatever reason. Um, Muslims don't. Ha- Muslims can't follow them, and we can't expect them to. Um, so that's, you know, it's it becomes a very difficult thing, and it becomes to talk about it, um, and it's so polarizing to talk about it. Um, Let me I ask don't, you. I don't. I see the West as some place where this is this is a place where people like me uh, and as Muslims like me can speak freely. Um, and talk about Islam, and maybe Muslim communities uh, can change here, and maybe that change can reflect back home. I mean, that's my hope, and that's actually, I think, the, the clearest way to us getting any kind of uh, real progress or change um, is through these little communities in, in the West. Um, but I don't see how that's going to happen if at every juncture, you know, I mean, even Mariam Mazi tried to speak about, tried to speak at Warwick recently, and I think there was a big Twitter storm about it because um, the student union yeah. did not want her to speak because they thought that she was um, hateful, I think. Yeah, and similar to Ayan Hirsi Ali in, in California, where, yeah, Mariam Namazi was going to speak in, in at Warwick in, like, England, mm-hmm. and their student union said she was basically saying hate speech. I don't know if that was the word they used. But, yeah, and what was she talking about? She was talking about her own experiences mm-hmm. with Islam. If you can't talk right. about your and- own experiences, what can you do? Right, and and they eventually Mariam reversed Namazi course. Is, by the way, Mariam Namazi is completely different, like on the opposite end of the spectrum as Ayan Hirsi as far as her politics are concerned. So you know it's not that. You know the 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 fault with her is the same fault that I think truly people find with Ayan Hirsi which is that she criticizes Islam. Yeah. Um, because you can't make the same you can't make 
the same, you know, she's maybe a little bit right-wing criticism from William Namazi that you that some people find it very easy to do with Ayanna Israeli, and I think even then a little bit unfairly. Um, you can't make that with Maryam. Um, and that's that's the point of, of what I'm trying to get, which is that I don't know of anybody who who has criticized Islam publicly and gotten away with it. And that's kind of the scary thing, too. If you can't criticize bad ideas right. because they're going to come after you either way, I mean, you might as well just do it anyway then because they're, it's not like you can be polite and criticize someone's sacred cows. I don't know. Right. Um, right. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's funny because I was discussing this with a friend not too long ago um, about how militant, you know, we, we talk about, as activists, what kind of a what kind of a tone should we take, and are we responsible for for you know the reactions to our our tone that some people have? And I was thinking, well, if you look at what's happened to the way Majid Nawaz and Marie Namazi get treated, and you know Majid is very careful. He is a Muslim, you know, he's right. a Muslim himself, and of course he's always talking about anti-Muslim bigotry. Um, you know, every on his Twitter page, it's. it's he talks about it and mentions it all the time. It's definitely a concern for him. It's definitely something that he wants to, um, you know, tackle the best he can. Um, even then, even he gets called a torch monkey. So then I'm thinking, you know, well, screw it. You know, I might as well say whatever's on my mind because I'm going to get smeared. I'm going to get smeared anyway. So I might as well be as honest as I possibly can with and as authentic as I possibly can with what, what I'm feeling at the moment. Not to change gears, you talked about you, when you're born in Pakistan. We know it's hard for, like, deathly hard mm-hmm. for Muslims to become atheists openly in a country like that. What is it like in the United States if a Muslim comes out as an atheist? Is, is the fear? What's the fear like for them? Is it? I mean, I imagine it's easier, but is it easy? It's not easy. I wouldn't say it's easy. Um. I would say my experience, my experience was easier than the experience of the great majority of ex-Muslims, at least the great majority of ex-Muslims that I have met through, through ex-Muslims of North America. And, and it was easy in the sense that my family didn't disown me, and I didn't experience um, physical abuse. And at no, you know, at no point did I think that it was likely that I was going to come to harm. So in all those areas, um, I am I am different than 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 many than many ex-Muslims when they come out as an atheist. In that I I didn't really experience abuse from my family, um, and that's part of the reason that I'm actually able to speak up about it today. Is that the biggest fear that that I think many ex-Muslims have is the social repercussions in in the West because they are severe, right? They're they're very severe. Um, for some people, it may just be you know, a, a few, maybe some, some, not so much physical abuse, but verbal abuse and um, some altercations with family here and there. And that, that's sort of at the extreme light end of it. But but the other spectrum is people that are actually afraid of, of getting seriously hurt by their family members or maybe even their life taken away or they're young and maybe they're going to be kicked out and they're not going to have a livelihood. Um, these are very serious concerns for uh too many ex-Muslims, in my in my opinion, way too many. Um, and because of that, a lot of people choose to stay in the closet, or what we call, you know, in the closet, mm-hmm. um, about their beliefs. 
uh, or their lack of belief until they are at the very least um, completely financially independent and have the means of separating themselves from their family and have their own you know, social circle and social sphere uh, to fall back on. I guess with that in mind, would you, like overarchingly, would you describe Islam as a religion of peace or a religion of war or is it just a religion? Well, um, I don't like blanket statements about about anything about what Islam is because then we're going to get into you know these semantic wars about how do you define Islam because that's the way everybody gets out of it, right? If I make a critique about okay, Islam, um, Islam allows you know certain things. Sometimes people will say, well, that's not in the Quran; it's in the Hadith, or it's not in the Hadith; it's only in these you know law jurisdiction type ruling that really are Islamic practice, but can't really be considered part of the religion. So I don't really, um, I try not to make those blanket statements, but what I, what I do know is that there are many parts of the religion that we, we absolutely have to leave behind. Um, and there can be no doubt about it. And what, what is going on in Muslim communities, and I've noticed this especially in, ter- in terms of women's rights, is that a lot of people will try to talk about, um, a lot of Muslims will try and frame the conversation as, well, what is women's rights within Islam? You know, how can we how can we get women's rights? How can we justify women's rights using utilizing religious sources? And that's a conversation that I don't think is is relevant, and I don't think is um, is worth having. Um, I don't think it matters at all what the what the Quran says. Um, about women's rights. It's something that needs to be demanded whether or not it's something that's permitted in the Quran. And if it's not permitted in the Quran, for whatever reason, then we need to kick those verses out. Who, who do you think is helping create the change in the right direction? Are we? Who's the biggest uh, source of that change? Is it going to be people uh, like you who speak out against the faith? Or will it be uh, people who are moderate Muslims uh, maybe even in those Islamic countries who are helping steer it in the right direction? Uh, who who do you think has a bigger impact here? Well, I mean, I, I don't... I don't see the value in, in talking about... We have all these conversations about, you know, well, what is, what is the moderate Muslim and, and what does it mean to be the moderate Muslim and why aren't the moderate Muslims, you know, stepping up and... Um, calling out extremists within their communities. Um, I don't think those conversations are fruitful because, you know, moderates, it's not in the nature of moderates to speak out. It's in the nature of moderates to, to walk the path, the well-trodden path that, that's going to be easy, that's going to allow them to move on with their day with as little confrontation as possible. That's what moderates do. That's moderates everywhere, in, in moderate Muslims and moderate Christians and, you know, moderate Jews. That's what they do. We can't expect change to come from them. It's not going to come from them. Um, it's going to come from the radicals, the people at the fringes. It's absolutely those people that need to be empowered um, because it, it takes, at this point, if you if you look at where Islam is right now, where the Muslim, Muslim um, community is, excuse me, right now, and what you know, the average Muslim um, across the world thinks in terms of social attitudes towards women, minorities, and religious pluralism. Um, it's not a pretty picture. Uh, 
the the odds that people like the Bangladeshi bloggers, for example, the the bloggers who are humanists and secularists and free thinkers who are speaking out, um, you know, about about religion, the the and who are getting killed face, for it or have their lives on like a death list, right? And and what they face is what seems to us to be insurmountable odds. But listen, I mean, these odds are always seem insurmountable until all of a sudden they they're not right. Mm-hmm. If enough of us empower these radicals, if just a few more people join these radicals, before you know it, they don't seem that crazy anymore. And that is how change happens. And in that sense, I think we we need to sort of stop having these conversations about moderate Muslims. Because a lot of Muslims will follow once it becomes not such an insane thing to do in, in, in the political climate. Right now it is. Right now you have a lot to lose. So the more people who speak out, I mean, appropriately, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, not the racists, not the bigots, but appropriately criticizing Islam, uh, we need more of that. Right. From all directions. Um, If people are interested in learning more about ex-Muslims of North America or helping out in any way uh, to to further the work you're doing, what can they do? Well, um, we have resources on our website that www.exmna.org. Um, we appreciate anybody who's able to support us in any way. We are an all-volunteer organization, and so everything that anybody anybody donates to us goes directly to just running the the, the organization, making sure that we're available to to speak out and um, to attend conferences and to give a voice to ex-Muslims via our various online platforms. Um, what I hope that everyone does is um, look into, you know, terms like Islamophobia, um, question why it is that there is um, such a, you know, such difficulty in talking about Islam and question that publicly and talk about that publicly um, and try and focus this criticism towards the ideology and keep it away from the people um, but even just these conversations and people having these conversations privately and on Facebook and maybe online and maybe they're publishing here and there helps us. Uh, it helps us in, in an indirect way, but it really does help. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. We'll have a link to, to the website in the show notes. And thank you for all the work you do. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, month. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, thanks, Jessica. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Bloomke. We hope you'll join us next time.